Sometimes the Lord takes us through a really painful journey. And at most points on the journey, we cannot figure out what in the world is going on. And often we don't know why it's happening. But toward the end, and sometimes at the end, we realize God all along has been calling us to pray more. To worship him. Because throughout all of it, he doesn't change. He's still the king of kings. He's still the Lord of Lords. He's still the God of mercy, grace. I change. He doesn't. And sometimes as God is calling us to worship him more, to pray more, to call out to him more, he's also doing work in us. Often in us as an individual. There's a rebuilding work that the Holy Spirit does. And sometimes right along with that, there's a time where he's calling us to glorify him more, pray more, worship him more. And they sometimes happen at the same time. In the book of Nehemiah, the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. And so God gives opportunity for the Lord's people to build back up the walls. But while he's doing that, he's building up the people. So there's this rebuilding going on. And at the same time, God is saying to the people, I want you to call on me more. There's the rebuilding work of the Lord and there's a call to prayer. It's a beautiful thing that happens, both of them. And we see it in the book of Nehemiah. So come with me. Let's take a look. Nehemiah chapter one. And we're going to start with verse one, Nehemiah one, one. Well, thank you for standing as we. <clears throat> as we read the word of the Lord. Nehemiah one, one from the New King James Version of the Bible. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, came to pass in the month of Kislev in the 20th year that as I was in Shushan, the citadel. That Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. That you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. 
But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now, these are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh, Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He means the king. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. You may have your seats. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. I believe there are some lessons here for us in the book of Nehemiah from this theme. And if we can put the title on the screen, please. When the Lord is doing his rebuilding work. Let's say that together. When the Lord is doing his rebuilding work. It's an amazing time, a difficult time, but God works through it all. And calls us back to him. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we look to you. We ask you to give us strength. We ask you to give us wisdom. We ask you to speak to us, God, as we learn to call out to you, worship you, thank you, praise you, and give you glory every day. You are still the God of the heavens. You are still King of kings. You are still Lord of lords. Draw us to you. And if it's your will, save souls today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah obviously got some very bad news. Remember, he's a man of Judah. He's, he's Jewish. Jerusalem is where his heart is. He lives in Persia. He's cupbearer to the king. King Artaxerxes was one of the most, was probably the most powerful king on earth at that time. And so some people come from his nation, as it were, and say, listen, it's, things are bad. The walls are broken down. We're in reproach. People are laughing at us and putting us down. And this is a very bad thing. Understand, in those days, a city was protected by its walls. So if the walls are broken down, the enemy can just run roughshod over the entire city. If there's a hole in the wall this wide, a chariot can get through. If it's two or three times as wide, you can get several chariots through. If it's worse than that, an entire army can come through. People can be killed. The city can be sacked. If you're a husband, you can't defend your wife. You can't defend your children because there's a hole in the wall. You can't defend the, temp- defend the temple where you worship. How do you handle this? It is a very great tragedy. And he gets this news, and I think it's so interesting that he doesn't say, here I am, cupbearer. That's like chief of staff, very important position. Cupbearer to the most important monarch on earth. You're telling me about something that happened in our nation. I'm real sorry to hear about it, but things are going well for me. Sorry to hear about that. He doesn't. He mourns. He's sad. He weeps. You know, there is something about a time of missing something or someone, a time of loss when you're hurting, where God just grabs us and helps us through. Mourning is painful. 
Nobody likes to mourn or weep. But God uses it in our lives to draw us closer to him. And what I love about Nehemiah is that he starts off just getting the bad news. And he prays. Look with me at verse four. Nehemiah one. Look with me at verse four, please. Nehemiah gets this terrible news. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned. How long? For days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Look how that's phrased. Not just I fasted. I prayed. I was fasting. That was a lot of fasting. And then a lot of fasting. And then a lot of fasting. I was praying a lot of praying and a lot of praying. We'll find out later. He did this for months. And I said, I pray, O Lord, God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. He begins to pray. Now, look at this. Chapter one, the first three verses, we find out a little bit about Nehemiah, his family line, and then he gets the bad news in verse four. He's weeping. He's mourning. He's fasting and praying. The rest of the chapter, it's a prayer. Literally, the first chapter of this book is dominated by prayer. So Nehemiah starts with prayer. And he prays like this, day and night evidently, for months. Here's what's so beautiful about that. Very often, we pray sort of in the middle of a crisis or toward the end. But not at the beginning. You know what I'm talking about. You go through a difficult time. You think, oh, I need to call so-and-so. I should text so-and-so. And, oh, wait, let me, let me go on Google and see if I can get some more information about me. Google, yeah, oh, good. They might, let me click on that one. That should help. Oh, no, I know what to do. Now, if I just click on this link's going to help me. I'll go here. I'll go there. Oh, reaching out on Facebook, I found out. Oh, so-and-so. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want to talk to him. I should talk. Oh, she's got a better. She knows better. Yeah, oh, I know her on Facebook. We're friends. and That'll help me. And you've got all this stuff to try to figure it out. And God's just waiting. So, Marcus, uh, I'd really love it if you talk to me about this. And I'm just, you know, I got to, I'm going to send this text, return this email. Oh, let's just call so-and-so. Do I have a voicemail? I have a voicemail. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? God is asking us to talk to him. He's calling us. We think of prayer as the last thing. Here's what I'm talking about. I love football. And in football, if it's the fourth quarter, You've got four seconds left. You're 61 yards from the end zone. You're down by six points. The only way you can win this game in regulation is to throw a pass and hopefully see one of your teammates catch it in the end zone. You score the touchdown, then you get the extra point, and you've won. And when you throw up that pass at the last part of the game, literally the last play, it's called a Hail Mary. That's a Catholic term for prayer. Because there's a prayer that starts Hail Mary. If you grew up Catholic, you know that. In fact, I've even seen sports commentators say, oh, he's throwing up a prayer. We say stuff like that. Oh, that's not going to happen for you. I'm sorry. You don't have a prayer. Or when things get really bad, we say, oh, that sounds awful. Boy, you'd better pray. As if it were the thing we did after we've tried everything else. We ought to start with prayer. We ought to keep praying. Amen. And we ought to end with prayer. Let me show you what Nehemiah did. We're in one four now. Turn to chapter two, verse four. Look at this. Chapter two, verse four. Look at this. 
This is when he's before the king. Again, the most powerful king on earth. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, even before he talks to the most powerful human being on earth. What's he doing? Praying. Chapter four, verse four. Chapter four, verse four. This is when uh, there is opposition to the rebuilding of the walls. The Lord blesses him. The hand of God was on him. So he gets to do some rebuilding. Then there's opposition. What does he do? Verse four. Hear, O God, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. In other words, don't let those who are trying to attack us be successful. Let them be embarrassed and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. He's praying for God to help him deal with the enemies. By the way, Nehemiah prays 12 times in this book. It's only 13 chapters. That's pretty much once a chapter. He's praying throughout. He starts off praying and mourning and fasting. He keeps on praying. He prays till the end. You can see, if you want to look at it, chapter 13, verse 31, the last verse of Nehemiah, the last part of the last verse is a prayer. Oh, God, remember me. He's a man of prayer. And that's what we need to be doing instead of trying to figure out how we can handle it ourselves. And that's point number one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody's clapping. Let's put that on the screen, please. Point number one. Let's pray, pray, and then pray. You knew I was going to say that. Let's say that together, please. Let's pray, pray, and then pray. It's not a Hail Mary. So often for me it is, I'll admit. We need to be making sure that prayer is first, middle, and last. Such a lesson from Nehemiah. He prayed throughout, sometimes with others, sometimes by himself. An amazing man. Heard a wonderful story of a family where the last name was Taylor. They had a son. The mom knew the Lord, loved the Lord, been praying for her son to come to know Jesus. He wasn't interested. The dad knew the Lord, loved the Lord. I'm sure he'd been praying too. Son doing his own thing. But at some point, the son wandered through the house, I don't think anyone was there at the time, and happened to be in his dad's library and saw a little gospel tract. Just a little booklet that talks about what it means to accept Jesus. You've got to admit nobody can save you but Jesus. You've got to ask for forgiveness of your sins. Turn your life over to him and believe he is who he says he is. He died on the cross for you. He rose again. He's the savior of the world. He'll forgive you and cleanse you of your sins. And This young man just couldn't get away from the message of that little booklet. And right there, God gripped his heart. And he dropped to his knees. And he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior right there in the library. His mom wasn't home. She had been gone in those days when you traveled, you traveled for many days. He couldn't wait to tell her when she got home, oh, mom, I've come to Christ. So she came home grinning. He should have known something was up. She, she, she knew. He said, Mom, I've got wonderful news. I gave my life to Jesus. She said, Honey, I know. She said, Son, I know that you did. Mom, how did you know? Because he had told her the date. The very date you told me, Son, I spent the entire afternoon on my knees praying for you. And I did not get up until I felt God assure me that you were now in the kingdom. I'm glad you saved, son, but I knew it. That young man's name was Hudson Taylor. Became a great missionary. 
founded China Inland Mission, opened up that nation to the gospel, spread the good news of Jesus Christ to many, many, many people in that nation, served there for 51 years, and he died in China, serving God on fire for the Lord. But he had a mom who prayed middle. But she started off praying. Then she prayed in the middle. Then she kept praying. Then she kept praying. She prayed to the end. Now, I am not saying to you, please hear me, that every time you have a relative you're praying for, that they will always come to Christ. I wish they would. Amen. But you know what? If you pray for many of your relatives and for one of them, they come to Christ and another of them, they don't. All that time you spent praying, is that wasted? Because it draws you closer to the Lord. And that's the point. That's the point. Nehemiah was praying consistently all the time. And it reminded him how much he needed God. You know, God will humble us in times that he's calling us to prayer, in times of rebuilding, to remember we need him more than we think we do. It's humbling. Amen? And in order for us to see God for who he is, we've got to have that humility. Come with me to right where we are in verse four. Look how Nehemiah handles this. Look at his humility. Chapter one. Look with me at verse four. This man absolutely amazes me. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the Lord God of heaven. And I said, listen to this now. I pray. Lord God of heaven, oh, great and awesome God. Just right there. He's starting off praising God. This is a bad day. This is a painful day. This is a summary, by the way, of prayers that went over several months. Oh, Lord God of heaven, oh, great and awesome God. You who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. He just starts off praising him. But do you see the humility? This is the Lord God. He is great. He is awesome. He keeps his covenant. He's a a, a covenant keeping God, a promise keeping God. And then he says, you're the God who keeps your covenant and mercy. That's a special word in the Hebrew. That word is chesed. And here's what it means. It's such a beautiful word often used of God. We cannot translate it with one word. It means love. It means kindness. It sometimes is translated loving kindness. The New International Version will sometimes translate it unfailing love. It means a promised love, a covenant love, justice. There are so many different ways that you can translate it. He's saying, God, you're all those wonderful things. He begins just praising him. You see the humility? I'm, I'm, I'm just a human. I'm only the chief of staff to the most powerful king on earth. But you are the great an awesome God. Do you see it? Humility. Verse 6. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we've sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. Now, first of all, he says, God, would you let your ear be attentive? Don't miss this. Parents, you know, when your little girl or your little boy is talking to you, and you hear them well with both of your ears, but you want them to know you're really listening. They'll say something. And you, you know how you lean in with that one ear. What'd you say, sweetheart? Well, dad, what I said was you can hear, but you lean in to let them know that your ear is attentive. Well, say it again. Well, mom, what I said was this is what God does 
for us all the time. In fact, what's beautiful is that God's always doing that to his children. He's always attentive. He's always leaning in. But sometimes you and I are mumbling and grumbling and carping and moaning and complaining. Oh, God, I don't think you have any idea what I'm going through. I don't even think you're listening. Do you realize what's happening? Do you realize how painful? And he's saying, I hear you, son. You probably don't know, but I hear you. Oh, yeah, I hear you, my daughter. You may not realize I'm here, but I'm here because that's who he is. His ear is always attentive. That's a prayer you can know will always be answered. Let your ear be attentive, your eyes open. He hears it all. And then Nehemiah, look at the look at the humility again. He says that we have sinned both my father's house and I have sinned. And then verse seven, we have acted very corruptly against you. And have not kept these commandments, statutes, ordinances that you commanded. This man, if there's any pride there, he's repented. And we hear the humility. And in seasons of rebuilding, when God is working on us, that's the second thing that we need. Number two, if we could put point number two on the screen, please. Point number two, let's repent of any pride. It's point number two. Let's say that together. Let's repent of any pride. It damages our relationship with God, damages our relationship with anyone else. We, need, we cannot have that pride in there messing things up. Nehemiah realized that he needed God and he needed to repent. He's saying, I've sinned. My father's house has sinned. We, the people, have sinned. We need to come and repent instead of, well, I think it was uh, that sister over there. I think. Well, it seems like it was really the guy, oh, back there. Yeah. No. What about Marcus? What about me? That's what he's saying. Humble. There's a conference that I went to uh, for Christian leaders, and one of, one of the men I admire the most in the body of Christ, uh, Francis Chan, was speaking. And he shared something that I thought was just beautiful in terms of repentance and, and, and how God humbles you. He uh, was telling us about a time when he had gone to a conference just after his now famous book had come out, Crazy Love. <clears throat> and he walked in and he looked in there on the kiosk. Wow, that's that's a magazine. And that's my face on the cover. Oh, look at that. He didn't tell anybody that's what he was thinking. But it was like, look at that. And then he walked somewhere else and he saw another magazine and it was Francis Chan again. And he went, oh, look at that. And I think there was a third one. He looked over there and he wasn't expecting a different magazine. And there's his face on the cover. Oh, look at that. It's kind of made him smile. And he admitted he hadn't said anything to anybody, but he's walking through that conference thinking, man, that is beautiful. I'm on the cover. That's cool. He liked that. Now, we can look at that and say, oh, my goodness, the pride, the sin. Think about it. If they put your picture on the cover of a magazine. Be honest. Isn't there a part of you that would say, ha ha, look at that. <laughs> Got my hair cut just right. Oh, look, my eyebrows are not sticking up. Isn't there a part of you that kind of enjoy that? That's where he was that day. Enjoyed it. Kind of excited about Francis Chan was excited about Francis Chan. Then they had time of prayer and worship, other, other times of worship. And somebody decided to sing one of my favorite hymns, Holy, Holy, Holy. And they did. They, they, 
The worship team began to sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And he began to think, Francis Chan did, about the Father, about the Son, and about the Holy Spirit. And he realized his focus was wrong. And somewhere as he began to sing that hymn, and I don't know which verse it was, but perhaps it was the third one. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man, thy glory may not see. He began to see the majesty of God, the glory of God, how wonderful the Lord is. And he realized he was focusing on some silly magazine and the God of the heavens, as Nehemiah would say. The great God who's our savior needs to be worshiped. And I'm kind of looking up to and almost worshiping myself. No. Oh, Lord, forgive me. And he said he began to weep. And he kept weeping. And he kept weeping. And pretty soon it was time for him to speak. And he was still crying. And he told them, I need some time. Somebody with the gift of helps brought him some Kleenex. And he needed some time. And once he got, him, got himself together, he had repented. He didn't say this, but I'm going to bet he preached a powerful message that day because the pride was wiped away. And you know what? It's no different from my pride or yours. If we're honest. Amen. We think we got some good ideas about how to handle stuff. In fact, sometimes we have really good ideas about how he ought to handle something or how she ought to handle something. What, you know, see what y'all need to do is we're human. But God shows us sometimes how much we need him. And Nehemiah is a great model of this. He is so prayerful and so respectful. He shows that God is great and awesome because he knows if there's any chance of him helping his people whom he loves in Judah and specifically in the city of Jerusalem. It's got to be God because no door is going to open if it's not God. Amen. And so he knows he's got to lean on God. And with this humility, he's looking to the Lord to help him through. Now, look with me, please, at verse 11. We're in chapter one. We're still in Nehemiah one. Look with me, please, at verse 11. Oh, Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer again, your ear. God's leaning in. To the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, that's the king, for I was the king's cupbearer. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, by the way, that's four months later, he's been praying, he's been fasting, praying and fasting, praying and fasting for about four months. Some people tell you if you just claim it, you should get it today. God might give it to you today, but sometimes he has us wait. Amen. He is God and he is sovereign. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, four months later, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took wine and gave it to the king. By the way, cup bearer, part of your job, take the wine and drink it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. If you don't drop dead, good. And if you do, he'll get another chief of staff. That's the way it goes. But he had access. So this is a very powerful man. I had never been sad, he says, in his presence, in the presence of the king before. You didn't do that. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. 
So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Wise thing to say if you think the king may be mad. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. You see this? More prayer. More worship. He's before the most powerful king on earth. The king asks him, what do you want? It's like if you're chief of staff to President Obama, can you imagine the president saying, now what would you like me to do for you? First thing, he prays. Because he realizes, even though this is the most powerful human king on earth, he needs to talk to the king of kings first. And then he can talk to this king. Because he knows if any door is going to be open, it's got to be God. So he's asking the Lord to open the door. And that's point number three. Point number three. Let's put that on the screen, please. Third thing we need to do when the Lord is doing his rebuilding work, let's ask him to open doors. Let's say that together. Let's ask him to open doors. And again, God may open the door that you want him to. He may open a totally different one or a window. But you never waste a minute or an hour praying to the Lord. Amen. You call on him. You call on him. And Nehemiah, just, it's amazing. He just calls on God because he knows no door is going to be open except that God would open it. We had a situation where I will admit uh, our son uh, had an accident a couple years ago. I should have been praying more. Anyway, here's what happened. Uh, our son is blessed to be uh, a student at Cal Poly Pomona down in Southern Cal. And so his first quarter, a couple of years ago, he's down there and we, you know, we see him off. And I still remember we, you know, we hugged him and said, you know, congratulations. We love you, son. And he just rode off on his longboard, on a skateboard. Now, like most parents, we're not too excited about skateboards and longboarding because we're always worried he's going to get hurt. Oh, mom and dad, don't worry about it. I'll be fine. Well, one day, first quarter, he's going, he's, he's going on on his longboard and uh, there was a manhole cover. He usually goes around those. But for some reason, this day, he went over the manhole cover and it caused him to lose his balance. And as he fell off the board, what he was planning to do, I think, is to just try to, you know, plant his foot and kind of do a little running. But what happened, Joey's a big kid. He's about six back then, about six one, maybe 185 pounds. And so what happened was he had on these tennis shoes that gripped the ground really well, too well in this case. So he's going fairly fast. He comes off of the board, his foot plants, the shoe grips the ground, but his 185 pound body keeps going. Broke his leg in several places. So we get the painful phone call, literally, that his leg is broken and we've got to find, you know, a surgeon. Oh, so we're running around trying to make sure that we, you know, we can get somebody to do the surgery. And, they, and, 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 and when we do, we've, we've got a health care provider that takes care of us and all of that. Thank God. I thank God for the church that gave us great uh, medical benefits, still do. And so, you know, we get the surgery done and we say to them now, we don't know whether we'll be with this health care provider next year because it's toward the end of the year now. We want to make sure everything's covered. Oh, yeah, all the follow up. And what we heard was the surgery, everything, because, you know, they had to put a screw in his leg. And for me as a dad, when I saw, I mean, you know, this is the text generation. I get a text and there's a picture of the screw that's in my son's leg. It's an x-ray picture. Painful to look at. I'm looking at this thinking, that looks like a regular wood screw. I don't believe that. I thought it would look different. It didn't. But it's in his leg. So we know it went in. It's got to come out. And we're thinking, okay, fine. Everything's covered. 
So January comes, we're with a new health care provider, and we figure everything's going to be covered by the old provider, and so no problem. But then the day before the surgery, day before the surgery, we're getting phone calls from the anesthesiologist. Okay, now my fee is $895. The surgery center, our fee is $1,515. What? Wait, we thought this was covered. Oh, no. So we call our old provider, and they said, well, did somebody tell you everything was covered? Yes. Well, here's what we meant by everything. Let me read from our policy on continuity of care. What it means is all the office visits are covered. But the screw went out, went in. When it comes out, that's surgery. That's not covered. Did you think that was covered? Oh, man. You've got to be kidding me. My goodness, how could this? So now we're really stressed. And Joey's tired. He's frustrated. His, he's stressed. His leg hurts. He wants it healed. He's looking for surgery. And he's got papers. And he's got midterms. Oh, my goodness. So we're running around calling all kinds of surgeons. Now we've got to try our new health care provider, which was Kaiser. We've got to find one from them. And we talked to many different doctors. I actually talked to one who tried to convince me that if we left the screw in, it might be okay, which is actually true. That's fine. But then he said something that really bothered me as a dad. He said, now, if we leave it in, the leg sometimes heals better with it in, you know, versus taking out. He said, now, of course, it could break in his leg, but I doubt he'd feel it. Oh, man. I did not handle that well. Now, inside, I had a picture of going down to L.A. and letting this guy know how crazy... My son's leg, it's okay if the screw breaks in my son's leg. Have you lost your mind? But I'm saved. I'm saved. I didn't, I didn't go down to L.A. I think I just said to him, that does not sound like a good idea. No, we are not going to do that. You know, we leave it in, take it out, but this whole idea, if it breaks, no, 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 no. Not good. But I finally spoke to him. By this time, we're frustrated because it's going on and on, and it looks like delay after delay after delay. I finally spoke to a surgeon who was an acknowledged expert in the field. I think it's called orthopedic surgery. And here's what he said. Now, Mr. Givens, I know you're frustrated because it's taken so long. Yes, I want to have the surgery. My son's asking me, when's the surgery? When's the surgery? He said, but sir, this is about the ninth or tenth week that the screw's been in his leg. If we wait till the full 13-week period, a quarter, three months, his leg's more likely to heal. So what we want to suggest is that you give it a few more weeks, if you and your wife are okay with this, and then we'll wait. I, I can do the surgery, blah, blah, blah. Here's what we'll do. And it'll be about three months, and we believe that he'll be fine, and we can take it out, and his leg will heal. And I talked to my wife. Oh, that's good. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much. I hung up the phone. And it wasn't until going through all this stuff that I went through, and I admit I was doing some praying, but not nearly as much as I could have, I finally got here, and I realized this was no delay. God was healing our son's leg. God was doing his rebuilding work, if you will, on our son's leg. And rebuilding work takes time. And it took way longer than I wanted it to take. They weren't delayed. It was actually better for his leg that the surgery didn't happen when we wanted it to happen. And it came, by the way, we had the surgery. Screw came out fine. His leg is fine. He's walking fine. He's healthy. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And here's the P.S. Here's the P.S. Our son is a mechanical engineering major. Do you know what he wants to do? Having gone through all that, he wants to help people who are missing an arm or leg and build a prosthetic hand or prosthetic leg. Isn't that beautiful? So we're excited. We know that he'll do a beautiful job. 
But do you see how we had to wait on God? We had to wait on God. Because the only way that door could possibly be opened is for God to open the door. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. He was saying, I need for God to open the door. You see the hand of God when he opens a door, when he heals, when he blesses, when you see that rebuilding work, that changing. But it takes time. But I believe we need to keep waiting and looking for the hand of God. Again, look with me, Nehemiah 2. Look with me at verse 4. Look how the hand of God displays itself. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Quick prayers are still worship. Amen. Man of worship. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Now I want you to see the miracle here. You can read it later. Ezra chapter four, beginning around verse seven. It turns out that this same king, Artaxerxes, had heard about the rebuilding of the walls years beforehand. And he'd gotten what I think was probably some not very good advice. Oh, those Jewish guys, they're terrible and they're, you know, insubordinate. Then they're not going to respect your, you know, they're not going to you know, respect you as king. It's going to make you look bad as a king. So tell you what we're going to do. Please, king, stop the rebuilding. We don't think that's good. Please, the, the Jewish nation, they're just rebellious. That's what he was told. So he stopped it. So this king has already stopped the rebuilding years beforehand by decree. Now he's being asked, could I go back and do some rebuilding? Not very likely. Then look at verse 6. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. So it looks like the king is open to it. And J. Vernon McGee says his wife probably jabbed him and said, baby, he looks terrible. That man looks depressed. Let's help him out. Come on, send him, send him, send him. Come on, king. Come on, honey, help him. And to make it more amazing, earlier we saw that he was sad before the king. You never did that. In those days, if you were sad in the presence of a king, the assumption was you're part of an assassination plot. So they just kill you. Anybody who looks sad, they just kill you. Because, you know, they want you out of the way. In fact, it was so important to show respect to the king in those days. Artwork from ancient Persia shows that you would not stand in front of the king and just say, Oh, king, live forever. This is what you would do. You take your right hand. It's respectful. And you cover your mouth because you might have bad breath. Oh, king, live forever. Because if your bad breath offended him, he'd kill you for that. So there are all kinds of opportunities for this guy to have gotten killed. And now the king is open. Look, verse seven. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river. That they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. By the way, if you keep reading, you'll find that Nehemiah became basically the governor of Judah when this door opened. He had an armed escort that went with him. Look at all that he asked for and, and got it. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple for the city wall. He wants to help the city wall. Oh, and for the house I will occupy. Could you build me a nice house, king? And the king, listen now, granted them to me according to what? The good hand of my God upon me. That's the fourth thing we need to do. We could put that up on the screen, please. Fourth thing we need to do. Let's worship while we wait for the hand of God. Say that together. Let's worship. Hallelujah. That's all right to clap. That's all right to clap. 
Let's worship while we wait for the hand of God. This was a man of worship. He was honoring God. The only way that this door could possibly be opened is for the Lord to open that door. It was the hand of God. He could have been killed just for being sad, for being arrogant. He's not even Persian. He's Jewish. He's from the nation of Israel. He wants to go back there and he wants to help God's people rebuild the wall that the king stopped having it be rebuilt earlier. Only the hand of God, only the hand of God could do that. The Lord, he does this rebuilding work and sometimes it just doesn't look anything like what we were thinking it would. But he's good. Recently, I was uh, in the lunchroom at Abundant Life uh, over at the office and I had one of those days, if you're task oriented like me, you know, you've got your task list and all the stuff you want to do that day. I want to get this done by one thirty. I want to get this done by four. So I had a task list. So that day I was just planning to come in, heat up my lunch, run back to my desk and do some stuff for the Lord. And we just began to fellowship. Pastor Cora was in there and she began to share about the day she got saved at what was then called, I believe, East Palo Alto Church of God. It's the old name for abundant life. And I didn't know she'd gotten saved at an abundant life service. And we were all excited. She gave her testimony. And as she began to share, she talked about how they had prayer meetings back then. Some of them were all night prayer meetings. And those of us who didn't have the gift of intercession went, oh, my goodness. Praise the Lord. But all night, that's a lot of praying. I mean, it's great. And so we began to talk about prayer. There were five of us. We just began to talk about the importance of prayer and how much we should be praying. And we realized, oh, my goodness, when Pastor Greg was here, he led staff prayer and staff Bible study. And then when he moved to Southern Cal, we stopped it. What were we thinking? I don't know. I'm embarrassed to say that I I wasn't one of the ones that, oh, we should have staff prayer. I was doing this and doing that, running around. So we started talking about staff prayer. We started saying, listen, you know, Sister Hill has people who come and they do to the office six o'clock every morning. I think every morning, Monday through Friday. And they pray. Some of us should go to six o'clock prayer. And somebody did. So we're talking about six o'clock prayer. Then we started talking about staff prayer. By the way, we reinstituted it. Now our staff is praying every single Thursday, one o'clock. We are praying. In fact, one week we had such a great Holy Ghost time praying. It was Wednesday, right? And all these emails had gone out. And, and some people said, I like Wednesday. And some said Thursday. So we said Wednesday. And we prayed on Wednesday. And we thought, okay, next week we'll start on Thursday. And a couple of us said, well, wait a minute. We had such a good time in the Lord. Today's Wednesday. Why don't we pray tomorrow? So we did. True story. So we prayed. And now it's every Thursday at 1 o'clock. God's doing staff prayer. Part of that discussion, this was weeks ago. Why don't we get the whole church together and call out to the Lord? Do like they did in Nehemiah. Lord, what do I need to repent of? What does my house need to repent of? What do I need to change? Oh, God, you're still the God of heaven. You're still great. You're still awesome and wonderful. Lord, what are you saying to us? We need to call on him. We need to pray. We need to worship him. So we got all excited and started talking. We didn't even know that God was already speaking to Sister Hill along the same lines. Until we came to a staff meeting and Sister Hill stood up and she said, you know, we ought to have the whole church come together to pray. 
We need to repent. We need to call on God. We need to ask him. And people said, oh, my goodness. They were all excited. I was trying not to shout, hallelujah, say it, Sister Hill. I was trying to be cool, you know. And, and, but after that, I came up. I said, Sister Hill, I've been thinking the same. I've been feeling this for a long time. And I told her that God had been speaking to me out of Nehemiah. You know what she said? God's been speaking to me out of Nehemiah, too. Oh, my goodness. We got all excited. And you heard the announcement. A week from Wednesday, we're going to have a night of congregational worship and prayer. We need to worship until God opens whatever doors he wants to open. The same God about whom Nehemiah said, you're the God of heaven. You're the Lord. You're the God of mercy. You're the God of unfailing love. You are kind and your ear is attentive. That same God, he's alive today. And the greatest act of worship that there could ever be is to say, I am going to follow you, Jesus Christ. That's what we would say in New Testament times. I'm going to follow you, Jesus Christ, as my Savior. Many of us have taken that step. But I wonder if there's even one person here today who's never decided to give Jesus his life or her life. If you're sitting out here and you've never said, Jesus Christ, I want you to be my Lord. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be washed clean from head to toe by your forgiving, unfailing love. If you've never taken that step, we want to give you that opportunity. Would you stand with me for a moment?